We're in a series right now called What If, and Pastor Ryan uh, walked us through the first couple weeks of it, and what we're looking at is what the, what the meaning of life is. Why do we exist? What's the point? And we've, uh, we went all the way back and said, if we don't plug in to our relationship with God, which every human being was created to have, then we will always chase the wind. Uh, we will take life upon ourselves. That won't work out well. Uh, we will put other things in the center of our life that is not our discipleship or our following of Jesus, and that won't work out well. And we said, what if we chose a different path? What if we embrace the things that God has called us to embrace? Because life is not about the grind. You were not created for the grind. You were created for eternity. And when you read the Bible, it is, it is super duper clear that our lives, when invested through Christ, will echo through eternity. You are created to live forever. Every human being will. We'll live forever in heaven or forever separated from God in hell. We're all eternal. And when we invest our lives well, the investment, our earthly investment of our life will echo throughout eternity as well. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on here today. So we've been talking about that process. We've been talking about those ideas. And this weekend, what I want to do is deepen everything, kind of a next step. Ryan laid out kind of the beginning of the process, and I want to take you deeper with it. There's a couple things we're going to accomplish today, okay? So if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain what you would get yourself into and explain what it really means to follow Jesus. It's way more than like, you know, knock it off, keep your nose clean kind of a thing. I want to explain what following Christ actually is according to the Bible. If you are a follower of Jesus and you're kind of stuck in your relationship with God, so if your, if your most uh, passionate spiritual experiences are something that you remember and not something that you're living in right now, I'm going to explain to you why that is and uh, how to break out of that and what God is actually calling you to. So I think we're going we're gonna to kind of talk to everybody here uh, this week and the next few weeks. I think you're going to see some really fun and powerful things come up out of the Scripture, okay? So we're going to dig at the Bible all weekend this weekend. So grab your Bibles if you got them and flip them open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 805 in those Bibles. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 805, and if you want to use your, uh, your phone or your tablet, the best thing to do is grab the app, grab the app, okay, uh, Grace Church app, hit live, and all the notes and the verses will be there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, <clears throat> and you'll see it. So I want to I show you something. Let me, let me start by, uh, by showing you this graphic, Okay. So I want to just kind of want to orient us to what we've been walking through. So in this graphic, uh, what you see is this is the spiritual growth process, okay? So if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, you are before the cross, kind of the outline there. And the Bible says that if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, what the Bible says is that you are dead spiritually. You're dead in your trespasses in sin, the Bible says. Uh, you're in darkness is another way the Bible says it. John 3 says you need to be born again, okay? So if I'm before the cross of Jesus, if I have not yet agreed with God that I'm a sinner and that Christ is the only Savior, and I have not yet asked Christ for the forgiveness of my sin or repented of it, right, then, then I'm before the cross. Once I do that, I transition over the cross, and now I'm born again. That's not a church term. That's a, that's a Jesus term, actually. Jesus came up with those words. He's talking to this, this dude named Nicodemus, and he, he's, he used that picture. He says, you have to be born again spiritually. Because remember, you're dead, or you're in darkness, so you have to move to the light or transition over from death to life, and you're born again. And then from there on, we're talking about spiritual growth, okay? We're talking about how we grow spiritually and what that looks like and how that functions. So I want to read this part of 2 Corinthians 5 here, and then we're going to come back to this graphic. So look at me, look at, look at your Bibles with me here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's start with uh, verse 14. Here it is, the Apostle Paul is uh, writing on God's behalf. He says this, for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, okay? And he died for all. Let's just pause there for a minute. So that is a pre-cross 
uh, idea that Paul's talking about. We're, Christ's love compels us because we're convinced, we believe, that Christ died for the people pre the cross, okay? That there had to be a way of escape to get out of, out of our sin and to receive forgiveness. So it's, it's a basic tenet of Christianity. Now I want you to catch this, ready? So we believe that he died for all, uh, and uh, he died for all, verse 15. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, this is a huge thing. So once I accept Christ as my Savior, I'm going to move over the cross. I'm born again. And then my, my Christian life starts, okay? My spiritual journey starts. I can't journey spiritually if I haven't received the forgiveness of my sin. I can investigate spirituality... I can be a spiritually uh, curious person, but I'm dead. I'm in darkness, the Bible says. So until I'm born again or resurrected out of that darkness, I can't grow spiritually. There's nothing happening in me spiritually. Once I receive Christ and I understand what Christ has done for me, now I start to grow. Now, receiving Christ has different kind of uh, ramifications to it. And one of the ramifications is this. When I receive Christ as my Savior, I don't go to hell anymore. That's great, right? So the Bible says I receive the Holy Spirit as a deposit or a guarantee of heaven. But when I receive Christ, I'm, I'm doing more than just saying, you know, I don't want to go to hell. What I'm saying is, and this is, this is where we get confused, I think, a lot of times when we talk about what a Christian is. What I'm saying is this. Look at verse 15. I'm saying that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When I receive Christ, I'm saying, thank you for the get out of hell card. Like, that's awesome. But as a follower of Jesus, I'm, give, I'm living for the one who now died for me. I'm no longer living for myself. My life is not my own. It's been purchased at a cost, the Bible says. So as a follower of Christ, I, I'm like, yay, don't go to hell. But I'm also saying, I give all of my life to Jesus now. I live for Christ. I surrender to Christ. I humble myself. I follow Christ. That is the defining feature of my life. It's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that I am learning all that he has to teach me, and I'm becoming who he wants me to become. Now, Paul goes on. Look at this. Fascinating. So he says this, because I live for the one who died for me now, because of verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. What does that mean? When I regard somebody from a worldly point of view, this is the math I do. I will love you and invest in you to the degree that you love and invest in me. So what you do for me, I'll do for you. If you don't do for me or can't do for me, then... I withdraw my, my love and my investment in you. That's a worldly point of view. It, it's, a, it's a negotiated contract between two people, okay? So because I live for the one who died for me, I no longer do that. I think differently. My mind's renewed. My heart's transformed, right? I think differently. And then he goes on. It's fascinating. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer, right? I used to do this with Christ, I used to look and say, you know, Jesus, it, uh, I'll, do, I'll quit smoking, drinking, chewing, day girls to do chair for Michigan if you solve this problem for me. I'll, I'll start tithing my 10% if, you know, I don't lose my job and I can, I can drive a new car. I, it's a negotiated idea that God, I will do for you if you will do for me. And what Paul says here earlier is he's like, he says, that's not what it means to follow God. I no longer live for myself. I don't interact with people from a worldly point of view. I don't interact with Christ from a worldly point of view. As a Christian who has been rescued from my sin, I now live for the one who died for me. That is my operating system. That, that, that's the software that drives my life. These old things, that's not the way I function. Then look what he says here in verse 17. It's great. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Okay, now catch this. So I'm, I've received Christ, right? 
I no longer live for, the, for myself. I live for the one who died for me. I don't look at people the way I used to look at people. I look at people the way Christ looks at people. I don't look at Jesus the way that I use it. It's not a negotiated contract. It's a covenant relationship. I love him because he loved me. The old is gone. The new has come. I have been reconciled to Christ. That is the picture of what it means to receive our salvation. This transformation has happened to me, and I've been reconciled. What that means is I've been made right with God. Okay, now, that's what this means. Let me, let me show you this graph again. That means that after the cross, okay, the graph, there it is, after the cross, I'm pointing at myself, which was, you know, it's probably the best thing I could show you this morning. But after the cross, what it means is this. When I've been born again, ready, hell is off the table. Did you catch that? If I, if I have actually received salvation and been reconciled to God, and it, it's all the evidences that are there, I'm giving myself to Christ, I'm following Christ, I'm loving people differently, I'm loving Jesus, all that happens, that means that hell is off the table. Okay, ready? Here's the question. Then what's the point of the Christian life? So why do we live a Christian life then? If hell's off the table and I'm no longer trying to get my act together so I can go to heaven, right? In fact, the whole purpose of Jesus coming, living, dying, and raising again is because I can't get my act together to go to heaven. I'd have to live perfectly, and that's not going to happen. If I'm not scoring points, like if I'm not trying to get my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, kind of hoping it all works out in the end, if, if hell is off the table, if it's been removed, and the Holy Spirit's been received, and I have a deposit, and I have a guarantee then what's the point of the Christian life? Why, why am I trying to obey God or do good deeds or give money or invest? Why am I doing all of that? Because I'm not trying to get myself out of hell. I've been rescued from it. I'm not trying to make myself right with God. God made me right with God. I've been reconciled to God. So what's the point of the Christian life? And it's fascinating, the Apostle Paul actually tells us right here, look back at it. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old's gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and maybe the, some of the, most, the three most important letters in the whole Bible. And, ready? Here's the point of the Christian life. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That Christ is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us, who? The new created ones, the born-agains, the people who move from, light to, from darkness to light, from death to life, the church, Christ followers. If you're a Christ follower, this is the point of your existence. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, right? He, not kind of said against us, he gave us the message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Here it is, one. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. The Bible would look and say, here's the point of the Christian life. The point of the Christian life is to grow to be a co-worker with God. Doing what? Rescuing people from hell. We join God's rescue efforts. We co-labor with God. The ministry, or you might say the work of, the message of reconciliation. We are ambassadors as though Christ himself were making his appeal through us. You want to know the reason for your existence? You want to know the meaning of life? I just read it to you. And here's the deal. You will never feel awesome about life until you embrace that. Because it's literally what you were created for. You were created to love God and love the people that he loves. Everything else is some version of chasing the wind. Everything else that you can give yourself into life will pull up short in some way, and as human beings, instinctually, we know it. But when I am reconciled to God, because I was created to be reconciled with God, I can't 
live life until I've answered the questions of the spirit. We're the only part of creation that does that, right? The guinea pig doesn't do that, the hamster doesn't do that, the tree doesn't do that, and the cat worships Satan. So we're the only part of creation that does that. And once I've reconciled the God question through Christ alone, the Bible says, not me, Jesus said it. My soul locks in and then the meaning, the purpose, the fulfillment, the joy, the investment, the way I get my life to echo through eternity is by doing the work that I was created to do. I am called and created and designed to be a co-laborer with Jesus. Jesus said it this way. He used a little different picture in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, you're the salt of the earth. This is Jesus' word. You're the salt of the earth. But the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So you're the salt of the earth. Then he uses a different picture. You're the light of the world. A town on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. I am a minister of reconciliation. I proclaim the message of reconciliation. I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ as though he was making his appeal through me. I'm a co-laborer with God. All of a sudden, I'm not looking for the reason for living, right? I'm embracing the path God has laid out for me. Here's the idea. I put this in your notes as a Christ follower. This is the way that a Christ follower would think. This is the point of the Christian life, okay? Why do I obey? To let the light shine bright on Jesus. Why do I yield my life to Christ? So that Jesus is seen more clearly. Why do I keep my marriage together? So that the illustration of Christ in this church can be, everything is about this ministry message and co-laboring with Christ, okay? I wrote this way in your notes. Every, as a Christ follower, every environment, this is the way that I would think, as a Christ follower, every environment I enter, work, school, home, the gym, friendships, just name it, claim it, right? Every environment I enter, I enter as a co-laborer with Christ in the rescue efforts of the souls I encounter. Every environment I enter, I'm walking into that environment. I'm not walking to partake in the environment. I don't go to school to go to school because I'm a Christ follower. I don't go to work to go to work if I'm a Christ follower. I, I don't go to the gym to go to the gym if I'm a Christ follower. I'm gonna think higher and deeper than that about my life. Every environment I enter, I enter as an ambassador, I enter as a co-laborer, I enter as salt, I enter as light. In every environment I enter, I enter and I co-labor with Christ in the rescue effort of the souls that I encounter there. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love my neighbors, myself, I love the people that he loves. That's why I'm in that environment, right? Now, we often call this, I want you to grab this word because we're going to be talking about it a lot in the rest of the series. We often call this the priesthood of all believers. The priesthood of all believers. And that term comes out of 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter says this. He says, he's talking about the church. He's talking about those who are called out, the new creations, the people who are followers of Christ now, right? Those who live for him who died for us, those people, us, Christ followers. He says this. But you, if you're a Christ follower, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. You are the priesthood or a royal priesthood. Now, when Peter would have written this and God gave him this, these words through the Holy Spirit, he would have been thinking in terms of an Old Testament Jewish priest. And in the Old Testament, the way that we interact with God was very different than the way we interact now after Jesus has come. So in the Old Testament, if you wanted to interact with God, you needed, you had to interact through the priest. The priest was the doorway to God. If I wanted to find God, I would approach the priest. And the priest would explain God to me. The priest would show me how to understand God's heart and God's mind. The priest would show me what a sin was and what a sin wasn't. Then the priest would show me how to confess that sin. 
The priest would show me how to worship God, how to live for God. The priests would live a life. They lived under a special set of rules. And the reason they did that is so that they could demonstrate to the people around them the holiness, the wonder of God. You would look at the priest and you would understand God. You would interact with the priest and you would interact with God. If you wanted to have your family's sins forgiven, the priest would show you how to do that. When you wanted to interact with God, you interacted with the priest. Jesus comes... He lives, he dies, he raises again. The Holy Spirit is given to the church now. So the Bible says that the Spirit of God lives within me when I accept Christ as my salvation. And then Peter says, now you're the priest. The priesthood is you. If you're a follower of Jesus, the priesthood has been transferred to you. The followers of Jesus Christ, the church, is the priesthood and now when people want to find God, they come to you. You as a priest, me as a priest, you as a priest, we go directly to God, right? You pray, the Bible says you enter the throne room of God. We worship God directly. We confess our sins to God directly. We walk with God every day through his Holy Spirit. God speaks to us through the word. We are the doorway to God. And as we help other people reconcile to God, we do the work that the Old Testament priests used to do. It's who we are, it's what we do. It's the priesthood of all believers. The ministry of, and the message of, and the labor of the priesthood is yours, if you're a follower of Jesus, right? I am called out. I am called to be a priest. And the role of priesthood belongs to me. Now. Let's, let's talk here for a second. Ready? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're bored, if you're a follower of Jesus and, and your passion for Christ has waned, if you're a follower of Jesus and your most vivid spiritual experiences are memories, not experiences that you're living in right now, if you're a follower of Jesus and your interaction with God has become a set of religious duties, haven't been to church in a while, might as well go, Buckeyes aren't playing. Right? I gotta give some money. They said the budget's tight. Hope they don't do another financial campaign again. Right? Better read my Bible. Where is it? Anybody seen it? If you're a follower of Jesus and you're bored or you're dispassionate or you're disconnected or your fervency for his message is lost, listen, the reason is that you are not embracing your priesthood. Now let me show you this. Bring that graphic back up for me. Here it is. Once I move past the cross, I'm born again, right? When I'm an infant, I, I'm an infant, and, and I'm just, I'm just kind of thrilled that I am seeing the light, right? And it's kind of the depth of my interaction with God right now. I was, I was going to hell. Now I'm not. Woohoo! Right? I didn't know about Christ. Now I do. That's exciting. And it's great. And it's awesome to look and say, I was going to go to hell, and now I'm not, and I'm thrilled that Christ did that for me. That's great if you're an infant. Babies don't stay babies. So I'm going to grow, and I'm going to grow in the childhood. And as I become a child, I'm, I'm going to become a student. And what a student does is a student learns things. So as I grow out of infancy, I'm going to become a child. I'm going to learn the Bible. I'm going to understand what God said. I'm going to understand probably why he said it. And I may understand good doctrine and sound theology and all that kind of stuff that's so, so important. I'm going to fill my head with that. And it's awesome because I didn't know before and I had to learn it. But kids don't stay kids forever. And now I become an adolescent. When I look at my children who are out of babyhood and childhood, and many of them are now three of my six kids are teenagers. When I look at my teenagers, I don't expect them to recite the rules to me. I expect them to follow my heart when I'm not with them. I expect them to start to adapt, not just what I said, go over there, get that shoe, put it away. Right? I'm not expecting them to do, I'm not going to do that to them their whole life. 
I'm expecting them to start to take my heart and my mind that they learn through my instruction of them and start to honor my heart and my mind when I'm not with them to make them do it. That's how I would define maturity. But you don't stay a teenager forever. You have to grow into adulthood. And in adulthood, what I'm looking for is to own a value system, to own a worldview, to make what used to be your dad's passions your own passions. And in adulthood, what you do is as you do that, you live like that. By the way, there is no more thrilling thing in the world than when your kids start to own your passions. It's it's a blast. The only thing that's more thrilling than that is when your kids have kids and they start to teach their kids the same things. As an adult, I reproduce. As an adult, I'm not just sitting back here saying, I'm really glad I'm not going to hell. See, if I stopped moving along that line, somewhere along that line, if I've been a follower of Jesus for many, many years and, I, and, and the, the depth of my interaction with God is I'm not going to hell anymore and it's five years later, I would look and say, well, that's, you're kind of immature. I mean, we should have moved beyond that. I still haven't read that book. If you move into a student and the depth of your interaction with God is, I, I know the Bible inside now. I can win at Bible trivia. I know who Moses' sister was. Well, good for you. Right? The Bible says even the demons know that. But it, if it's 10 years later and what you have to offer God is you know the Bible inside now, somewhere along that line, somebody you look and say, well, that, you're kind of immature spiritually. Even getting into adolescence. Yeah, I, I do good things. All right, yeah, I'm friendship evangelist, lifestyle evangelist, I volunteer for, that's great. Have you produced a child? I've been a Christian my whole life. I go to church, I can sing the songs without looking at the words, as long as Ben didn't write a new one. <laughs> right? And we would look and say, so... You do good stuff and you kind of know the Bible and you don't smoke, drink, chew, date girls who do. That's not the point of the Christian life. At what point did you embrace the work of reconciliation? At what point did the ministry and the message and the ambassadorship and the co-laboring become the directive of your life. And if it has not, then you're actually immature. Spiritual depth is not knowledge. Spiritual depth is not behavior. If that's the case, then the average Mormon or the average Muslim would be more spiritually mature than the average Christian. Spiritual depth is life change. It's taking on the heart and the mind of our heavenly father and those things becoming our passions. That's what the new creation is. It's not I got my act together. It's that I prioritize and zeroed in and embrace something of my life. I've adopted and locked on to my priesthood. And the reason that you're stuck and the reason that you're bored is because you're not moving. You're not moving into those deeper levels of priesthood. Now, let me pause here for a second and tell you something. We're going to help you with this. This is a big deal. Big, big deal, right? It's going to help you with this. So we're going to talk a little bit more about priesthood this weekend. Next weekend, I'm going to tell you about something amazing that God does. The Christian life is not behavioral change, right? The Christian life is the change of the heart. And in order to embrace the work of reconciliation, you know what God did? He, he helps us with it. God never tells you what to do without, trying to tell you, without telling you how to do it. So he helps us with it. And one of the ways that he helps us with it is he gives us what's called spiritual gifts. So once you follow, once you accept Christ as your Savior, every single person who accepts Christ receives one or more spiritual gifts. Why would God give you spiritual gifts is the point of the Christian life is to hang out and not, you know, until you go to heaven. 
He gives you spiritual gifts so we can do the work of reconciliation. So we're going to look at the spiritual gifts some next week and show you how they work and what they're for. I'm going to try to help you grab hold of those because it's going to help you. That's what they're there for. The week after that, we're going to talk about what the point of the church is. Because the church does not exist for the sake of the church. The church exists for the sake of the world. The people of God, the chosen ones of God, the church, are to adopt the heart and the mind of Christ, right? And what did Christ come to do? He came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come just so we could all get together and have fun. It's a byproduct. It's not the point. So one of the things that happens, we we overlook a lot. When I accept Christ as my Savior, hell comes off the table. That's awesome. The Holy Spirit indwells me. That's cool. I receive the spiritual gifts. That's amazing. And I'm adopted into the church of Jesus Christ, or what the Bible calls the family of God. The church is a spiritual entity. It's not a social entity, right? And so there's a spiritual power and a spiritual fervor that's attached to belonging to the church. And then the last week that we're going to talk here, we're going to talk about living for what Christ died for. And if you want your life to absolutely get crazy, if you want to not be bored anymore, right, start doing the ministry of reconciliation. You start telling people about Christ, and you walk into every environment that you belong, and you co-labor with Christ for the rescue of the souls of the people that are there, your prayer life, you'll stop praying for food and a safe trip home. That almost will become comical. And you'll start praying for faith and boldness. The Bible, it won't be, oh, I read this verse before, I know Jesus wept, ha, it's a good one. right? It's not going to be that. You're going to be screaming through the scriptures in order to get answers to questions that are good, right, intelligent, and difficult, but answered. And you're small, you want your life group to come alive? If you want your life group to come alive, don't get together and talk about the lawn and grandma's bunions, Right? You want your life group to come alive? Go out and do the work and ministry of reconciliation and you will come to life group with the need to refresh, with the need to be prayed for, with the need to have conversations so that we can figure out how to apply this somehow in our life. It all pops when we do what we were created to do. It all becomes religion when we're just kind of glad we're getting out of hell. And it's not the point of the Christian life. The more that I embrace priesthood, the more that I move down that maturity spectrum, the more all that comes alive and becomes rich and becomes real and becomes powerful to me. And this is the bottom line with priesthood. Here it is. Christ commissioned priest. That's you. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's who you are. The, the number one trait of a Christ commissioned priest is this. Christ commissions priests take ownership we take ownership so we look at the mission and the message of jesus christ and we we think that's ours i'm a priest it's not jeff's the priest ryan's the priest the pastors are the priest i am the priest i take ownership every environment that i walk into every place that i am in life I am placed there by God, and this is my mission field, and these are people that I'm responsible for, and I want to to propagate the ministry of reconciliation in this place. I think of it as my personal responsibility, and I take ownership of the environments that I live in, right? Do you hate your job? Anybody hate their job? You don't have to raise your hand, especially if you work here at Grace. Don't raise your hand, right? Because you'll have a new job. But anyway, right? You hate your job? Do you know why you have your job? It's the only one I could find. The economy state. No. You know why you have your job? Here's why you have your job. Here's why you have the job that you hate. Ready? The reason you have the job that you hate is because Christ loves the people you work for. The reason you have the job that you don't like, or maybe the one that you do like, is because God loves the people that you work with. That's why. God looked at those people and he so loved them that he, before the foundations of the earth were laid, created you to do good works in Christ, steered and governed your life in such a way that you landed 
in those people's lives as salt and light to do the ministry of reconciliation. Your job has nothing to do with you making a living or getting ahead. It has only to do with you being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You hate your neighbors? I like the one, the other one, he's kind of a day. Yeah, I know, we all got one. Right, you hate your neighbors? Do you know why you live where you live? School district? No. It's the only thing I could afford? No. I still live with my mom, different issue. <laughs> Do you know why you live where you live? This is why you live where you live, next to that crazy neighbor. Here it is, ready? Because God, listen, look through the walls of that home next to you and saw the brokenness, saw the kids that are hurting, saw the wife that's lonely, looked at the husband who can't overcome an addiction, and he loved them so much that he took one of his priests, his ambassadors, and brought them right into the environment so that the hope and the truth and the ministry of reconciliation could be proclaimed to your neighbor. You don't live in your house because there's no other place to live or because you liked it. That's a shallow view of God. You live there because God oriented your life to love those people. Do you hate school? Yeah. Every 12-year-old boy is like, yes, I hate school. I know. You know why you go to school? It's the law. My mom makes me. Okay, whatever. You know why you go to school? Let me tell you why you go to school. You go to school, the reason you're in the geometry class that you're in is because Christ looked at the other people in your geometry class and loves them, wants them to know that he loves them, wants them to have hope, wants them to receive salvation. So he took a priest and put them in that place. I'm just a kid. Tell Samuel, tell David, tell the apostles. They're all teenagers. Samuel was a kid. Come on, that's, ex that's how God works. Your life is the way that your life is. The people that are in your life that are in your life are in your life because Christ loves them. When you're always asking God to get you out of difficult situations, you're asking him to move you away from the people he moved you next to. It's all convoluted. But if we think Jesus works for me to make my life be better, instead of me living for the one who died for me, that's perfectly logical. But if I view myself as a co-laborer with God, I view those relationships differently. I view those, I own them. This is my mission field. This is my calling. By the way, this applies to the church. If I view the church as something that better entertain me, something that better make my life better, we better sing what I want, and he better say, and he better be funny this week. And if you view the church as a consumer, then you don't love the bride of Christ at all, you're consuming it. It will burn out, you'll get sick of it. If you view the church as something that you are, then it's not the church amping up for what are they doing now. No, no, no. It's what's the next opportunity that God has laid out before us because the reason we exist is to co-labor with Christ. When would that labor ever cease? When's the work of the church done? Are there enough people here to pay the bills? Yeah, we're not the Elk Lodge. It's not what we do. As long as our souls being lost to hell I'm pretty sure our to-do list is full. And it's, it is you. It is me. I'm not the priest of the church. I'm the pastor. It's an office. We are the priest. We co-labor with Jesus. And the more that I embrace that, the richer my life becomes, the more meaning I have, the more joy I have, and my life's work will echo through eternity. Look at this graph again. If you think about kind of walking away with this, this is how we have to think it through, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet, you, you are not growing spiritually because you can't. The Bible says you're still dead in your sins, right? Now that's the bad news. 
Everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. Here's the good news, or what the Bible calls the gospel. The gospel is God's not out to get you. He's out to love you. If God wanted to get you, he would have got you by now. If he, if he wanted to hit you with a lightning bolt, he would have hit you with a lightning bolt. He would have transferred you to Michigan. Something would have happened, right? So God's not out to get you. He's out to love you. That's why he tells you that you're a sinner, right? If your doctor tells you you're sick, it's not because she hates your guts. It's because she wants to heal you. That's why God tells you a sinner. It's because he loves you. And there's, there's a healer. There's a solution. There's a way of escape. His name is Jesus Christ. So if you haven't crossed over the cross yet, you've you got to start there. And then you're born again. Okay, that's awesome. Receiving your salvation, listen to me, receiving your salvation is not the sole point of the Christian life. We don't accept Jesus and then wait to die so we go to heaven. If that was the point of the Christian life, the minute you accepted Christ, you, we just, zoop, be raptured out, gone, over. Right? It'd be nice, but it's not the plan. So if my spirit... Now, if you're there, if you're at the infancy stage, and you say, yeah, Jeff, like I accepted Christ like a week ago, right? Then that's exactly where you need to be. Like I've been, I'm like a three-month-old. That's fine. Great. It's right where you need to be. But you sh- it's not where you need to stay. Then you grow. You're a student. And you might say, I accepted Christ like a year ago. Like I'm trying to read the Bible, like, I'm just trying to, like, find my way through the Bible and, and understand it. Great. If you're a student and you're learning, that, that's right where you need to be. It's, it's, great. it's great. In fact, it's appropriate and healthy and good to be at that level, but you don't stay there. And then you become a servant, an adolescent. I start doing the work of the ministry, right? It's good to do good deeds, In fact, the Bible says that our faith is evidenced by good deeds. But good deeds without the gospel is an incomplete effort. So it's a part of my life. It's an important part of my life because it expresses love to people. But it's not the whole, the point of being a Christian is not to do good things. It's not the point. It's just part of the point. So I'm not called to be a baby. I'm not just like, woo, out of hell, woo-hoo. I'm not called to be a student my whole life. Right? And if I lock into those mindsets, I become immature. If you've ever looked at your spouse or said to a pastor, you're not feeding me, you're immature. Because I, I quit feeding my baby, my kids, I quit feeding my babies a long time ago. Our oldest son, you know, he was six, eight months old. We quit feeding him. Our, our sixth son, he just crawled around, ate off the floor. We never did feed him right? So if you're, I've been a believer 20 years, what are you asking me to feed you for then? That's immature. See, you're stuck. The reason that you're a grumpy Christian is because you're not impassioned and blown away by the wonder of God's transforming power. You're stuck. You know, the Bible inside now, it it doesn't matter if it's not bringing about the transformation of your heart and a deeper love for people. The demons know the Bible inside now. They know it better than you do. See? Now, if you're there, that's where you should be. But if if you've kind of nailed it, it's time to move on. I do lots of good things. I volunteer for... That's great. But if you love everybody and serve everybody and give to the poor all the time and you never care for their soul, it's incomplete. Priesthood. I co-labor with Christ. I long for what he longs for. I invest my life in what he invests his life for. I, I live for the one who died for me and I own it. When, when I look at the lost people in my life, I don't think, man, I ought to go get the pastor. Somebody ought to straighten those guys out. I'm not looking at someone's behavior and say, they better knock it off. No, no. My heart breaks for, like Christ did. Christ did not look at us and say, you better knock it off. Christ came, died, buried, rose again to what? Provide a way of escape. And as I fall in love with Christ, my behavior will conform. 
because the passion of my life is not to straighten my life out. The passion of my life is to love who he loves, and that's what my behavior becomes testimony to. If we are not moving down this spectrum, something's wrong. It's not natural. It's not the point of the Christian life. And guys, I'm telling you, the more that you embrace your priesthood, the more alive you will become. And you can probably tell I'm passionate about this. It's huge, right? And I'm passionate about this because you, listen, look at me, you were created, your life was created to echo through eternity. 200 years from now, 200 years from now, you think anybody's going to care what you did for a living? Most, most of our jobs won't exist 200 years from now. Technology will change them over. You think anybody's going to care? Nobody's going to care. The, the minute you retire, they're going to give you some nasty cake and a gold watch. And then, and then the kid that's been nipping at your heels all these years is going to finally get your job. Nobody cares what you do for a living. Nobody cares about your golf score. Nobody cares about your bowling league. Nobody... You think the house you live, nobody's going to care about your house. The minute you die, it's going to go into an estate sale. Somebody's going to get it, rip the walls out, pull down your faux finished painting job, and they're going to look and say, I can't believe how tacky and old-fashioned this person was. That's the way it's going to work. Your wealth, 99% of us, our wealth is not going to outlive our children because you know how they are. See, our, our wealth is going to get us through life. That's about it. You don't sell your soul into these things. You weren't created for it. And when you chase it, it's chasing the wind. And it leaves you empty, and we all kind of know it inside. Now listen, listen, listen. 200 years from now, today, if I asked you today, how did you accept Christ as your Savior? you would tell me a story. So-and-so told me about it. And then if I said to you, let's call them and ask them how they found out. They could tell you that story. And you could start tracing your spiritual lineage all the way back to Christ. Why? Because what we do when we embrace our priesthood echoes through eternity. See, we know about Jesus, and we know about the disciples, Peter, James, John, you know, all this, and then we know about the apostles, Paul, and we know some of their disciples, Lydia, Barnabas, those kind of guys, and then as soon as you get outside the Bible, we don't know anybody's name anymore. But what they did, because they didn't look and say, I'm a carpenter, I'm a tent maker, I'm a fish, I'm the, I got the biggest fishing boat in the fleet, right? They, because they didn't find their identity in that, because they found their identity in proclaiming Christ, their lives, their love for Christ, nameless, faceless people, because they're not in the book, they're just in history, they're a part of the kingdom of God, their lives, listen, echo all the way through this room right now. What they did never lost its power, never lost its impact. In fact, you and I don't know about Jesus if this farmer back in... See? That's what we're created for. That's the impact you can make. The guy you work with, your tech, that technology you do, it's going to go away. It always goes away. But the guy you worked for, and the guy you worked with that you told about Jesus, and then he went and he told his wife, and they told their kids, and generations later, it's only as we embrace the priesthood, as we embrace what we're actually created to do, that your life comes alive, the church comes alive, your relationship with Christ comes alive. See, it all hinges on it. It's the reason that we exist. So what if? 
What if the questions of life actually aren't confusing at all? What if they're crystal clear and they're written down in a book? What if every Christ follower is called to full-time ministry? What if you're as called to full-time ministry as I am called to full-time ministry and we just get our paychecks from different places? What if there's a higher way to live? An investment that cannot be destroyed. An investment that can be made that some group of people, if the Lord doesn't return, 2,000 years from now is going to say, I don't know who told who, but it is echoing in the room right now. What if that's our purpose? What if that's our calling? What if that's our opportunity? What if we embraced that? and lived as priests were called to be. All right, I'm going to ask the band to come out. I know this is a bunch, right? I know it's a bunch. So the band is going to create a little space for us to think, and I encourage you to do that, right? Just, just to sit, be still, and spend some time with God, because these are highly personal questions. So interact with God, pray, invite the Holy Spirit to kind of bring clarity to your heart and mind and ask yourself, where, where am I? Am I embracing the priesthood and what would that mean for my life? It, are we happy? Am I happy? Are we, is our marriage happy? Is our family happy? What are we living for? And how does all of this function in that process? And just give God a little space, a little time, let him lead you. And ask him to, uh, to walk us through this, okay? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, help us right now. Bring your word to life. Bring conviction to life, direction to life. Do the, the spiritual work that you do, God. God, change us, lead us, mold us. Thank you. Thank you that you answer these questions and you call us. Help us even now to embrace that. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray.